So we just parked, we're in this remote section of Elliottsville. We just parked before the railroad tracks on the side of the road. There's two other cars there. That's where Alexandra gave us directions to. And then there's this little path unmarked down to Big Greenwood Pond. So down through the forest. Were we supposed to call across the water? I think so. I think that's what she said. If she wasn't there already. She said she'd probably be there yeah. already. Good morning. Hey, good morning. <laughs> hey, welcome. I'll be right down. Sure. Need any help carrying stuff? Yeah, we've got um, five, five cases of uh, electronic equipment. <laughs> Four car batteries. <laughs> oh wait, I, I just remembered I have something to do, Brian. <laughs> I'm really busy over there. <laughs> hey, welcome. Hi, it's been a long time. Well, Great to see you. Good to see you. Oh my goodness. Thank Boy. you for thank you for doing this. Oh man. Hey folks, welcome to A Talk in the Woods, where we go on to the trails, dirt roads, rivers and lakes of Maine's forests and mountains to talk to the people who live and work in them. I'm Brian Wenzel, Executive Director of the Maine Mountain Collaborative, which is working to tell the story of this special place. Earlier this summer, co-producer Lily Horn and I had a great conversation with Alexandra Conover-Bennett at her remote cabin home on a small pond at the base of Borestone Mountain in Elliottsville, Maine. Alexandra is known by many in Maine and beyond as one of the foremost wilderness guides and outdoor educators, and as half of Northwoods Ways Guiding Service. Alexandra and her partner in Northwoods Ways led traditional canoe and snowshoe wilderness trips across Maine, Quebec, and Labrador for 40 years. She and her partner Kermit live in this log cabin accessible only by boat with no electricity or running water. Living simply, they are accomplished musicians and writers and often host visitors from near and far on their property. I'm really excited to share our conversation with you. I hope you enjoy. So we're super, super fortunate, Brian. You know how many, you know how many decades I've been guiding and yeah. it's like all my life since I was a little girl, like I just want to live in a log cabin. Well, actually uh -huh. a teepee, but you yeah. know, yeah. a log cabin. Once I realized the teepee wasn't really good for New England. Yeah. Um, and not be near a road. And if you were to interview my siblings, every one of them would say, oh, Alexandra, let's see. Oh, well, she wanted to be an Indian, but that didn't work out. So, so, she'll go live in a log cabin. And it was not to escape the world, but to go deeper in because I nature and always have and you're, if you're drawn to something music whatever yeah tall buildings and shiny aluminum you can't help yourself you know so that's kind of how I think with that little filter of the mm -hmm. world is like guiding 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 like oh there's a cabin wow yeah and then this one I stumbled upon with you know just randomly because we live six miles from here yeah it's like so the, this this cabin was here already? Yeah, or? in 1937, you know, wow. it dates back and 
and some people, wonderful couple, owned it. And it took them five years to change their minds. We didn't hassle them. We just yeah. said, I We're fell interested. in love with that. I just went cuckoo. So I just hoped against hope that they would decide to sell. And they finally did. Wow. Yeah. And so Garrett and I still share North Woods ways. Yep. Yep. And we got all the logs for the addition. You'll see why we built an addition. <laughs> And got them all off from Northwoods Wave, brought them over here with College of Atlantic students. Oh, wow. They helped. They were just like, where's your logs? And we'd say, there's the pile. You know, it's like 120 <laughs> logs. I'm slightly, you know, condensing the story. But between bringing stuff across the lake with an old ATV and the students meeting us at that shore with a police system, Oh wow! We'd rigged up so the ATV could pull. So you do it in the winter, so you could bring it across winter. the ice. In the winter, yeah. yeah. Um, yep. But the students were kind of like these small ones. How about them? The small ones are like, I don't know, 25 feet long, this big around. And Kermit and I are thinking we're we're fairly rugged just from doing this all the time, but we don't call those small. They go, yeah. Where do you want them? <laughs> so two of them would go over wow. and just go, you know, and they had to go uphill. So, Young labor. Anyway, I'm very blessed. But I don't know which end of our lovely, loved, leaky boat you'd like to perch in, but either there's a seat there and there's okay. a seat here and there's life jackets you can sit on or I'm, get rid of them. I'm whatever. the heavy guy, so I should probably go in the back. That and would trim it well, yeah. yeah. Great. It's all yep. about trim. Yeah, really is. <laughs> this is a beautiful boat. Thanks. Boat. I got it off of uh, a neighbor, uh, mm -hmm. Rick Packard. And sold it to me for a hundred bucks, and I said, "Wow, back." Did you have to restore it? Yeah, that's where Jerry comes in. Oh, Jerry Stelmach did Stelmach, it. Stelmach, yeah. So I went over there one winter, and he kindly, kindly—I say kindly because these are thankless things—helped me rebuild the transom, yeah, blah blah, ton of stuff. But I think something was funky. I wasn't asking him for brand new canvas and brand new this and that. And I think something's funky with the solar. So it has a leaking problem, but it usually swells up and I haven't used it a lot. I don't leave it in the water. It's not, it would never sink. It isn't that kind of an issue. It's just like wet feet if you sit in it too long. Now, see if I can get through the boulders that I'm usually aware of. <laughs> it's getting so low. When we bring the College of Atlantic students we camp out on this land because that's allowed. So it's really used and loved mm -hmm. by the COA students. They're like ducklings, the first piece of land they see, they mm. fall in love with, and then yeah, they think, yeah. this is the epitome of yep. <laughs> But the outlet's down there uh -huh. where all the dry kite is, and it's about a mile and a half it dumps into on Lake Onawa, uh -huh. and that dumps into Sebec Lake mm -hmm. on down to the Piscataquis and the Penobscot. Got it. So, I I'm hearing music coming across the water. From it could be. Sometimes current practices, but Lucy Atkins from COA grad is visiting. Oh, great. We've known her for a decade. Uh -huh. but, yeah. So she's kind of vacationing up here and stays with us, stays with Garrett. Oh, that's great. Canoes around. And Kermit's either on the roof, because we're right in the middle of putting the roof on, so yep. we're at that frantic, like, yep. is the rain coming? And if so, when? But the part that's not so scary as of three days ago is we got the black paint on. So it's not, you know, start raining, we wouldn't get all excited. There Hello. it is. That's Kermit Bennett. 
He was born in Dover. And went as far as Alaska. Um, a, a very wonderful outdoorsman who's also spiritual. Has the same interests, musical. It's not often you can find outdoors people who are spiritual. It seems odd. I think they're almost shy of mm. talking about it or acknowledging they mm -hmm. feel spiritual because that word can be loaded. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, aren't you groovy? You know, it's like, yeah. no, no, this isn't groovy. This is yeah. just the earth talking yeah. to us. <laughs> yeah. Pretty uh, ancient thing that humans have always understood. Yeah. Come on now, Kermit. Hey, hey Kermit, I'm Brian. Hi. Brian Wenzel, nice to meet you. Thanks for sharing some of your time and yeah. space with us. I really appreciate it. And this is Lily. Hi, Lily I'm Horn. Lily. Nice to meet you. Yeah, we're here. You're here. Yeah. What a spot. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. This is uh, paradise for us. Yep. Is that a loon? I bet it was. Yeah. 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 I don't see him flying. And usually very often. it circles. Like that one probably just came in from. No, not necessarily. Depends on if it's going up or down. It. They go between the two ponds, but it takes like three huge like mile long loops to get elevation to get over there oh yeah or, or that's what they do so sometimes if that's increasing in altitude you'll see it come by again and then it goes that way they must have to take like a week off yeah between flights they you know, totally. are just like <laughs> oh they're hanging on by an evolutionary string <laughs> they are yeah This is, I grew up around here. I was born in Mayo Hospital and grew up here until I was seven years old. And then we moved down to Bath, Brunswick area, but we always came up here for summer campouts and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Then like 71 or 72, somewhere around there, my parents moved up here and built a place right here in Elliottsville. Mm. I got tired of traveling around the world after a while at, in around 2000 and I came back here and it's been here ever since. Wow. So you've traveled around. Let me try a theory on, on you that I've been chewing on for since college. A lot of places out west, and I don't know if, um, and so this may be too much of a generalization that doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Um, you know, I feel like there's, you have these big wilderness areas and Alaska is the same. Like Anchorage, you really feel this in Fairbanks. You're either in civilization, in a town, and then there's wilderness. Yes, It's right. binary. Yeah. It's like you're either there or you're yes. out. And especially out west, it's like you're going to go backpacking, okay, we're going to go out. And so it's like, there, there's like, it's either on or off. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like in New England, and particularly northern New England, <laughs> it's a little more integrated. Like there's a little more fingers of each going in each direction yes. that there's more of a a blending between i don't know if wilderness is the right word but a more yeah. you know w wild nature and and you know like in vermont and and again it's a yeah. it's sort of a yeah. something i've been chewing on for a while but well this is the this is the geographical center of the state right here the there's a little plaque over there by the railroad tracks oh really and, and it says <laughs> this is the geological center so from here North, you know, you get all of the, the roads, the paper company roads, and then a lot of campers, campsites, guides, that sort of thing going on, rafters, etc. So 
a lot of people enjoy that area and so it's not as um, segregated as far as really yeah you know like Alaska yeah you're, you're two days away from uh, getting any help at all you know yeah. here we're only a day away people in a day or an afternoon can get pretty deep in the woods like here we are mm. and you know we were in Greenville this morning in Monson. Mm. We got a sandwich at the general store. Yeah. And then here we are. Yeah. It feels very remote. You know, we didn't have to take a float plane. Yeah, 12 miles later. You're... An hour, yeah. you know, from the nearest place. So there's there's an accessibility to it. Mm-hmm. And that is open to people and not cut off. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, in that respect, it's really good. And, you know, we we're going down a going into town or something we see more than three four cars we go boy traffic's pretty busy today (laughs) and people laugh at us from the city because it's you know (laughs) ridiculous you know a phrase that i forget oh where i first encountered but i know i was a teen i want to say it was paul brooks but um roadless areas Mm -hmm. just that alone the fact that this where we live is roadless and that the nearest road is that that's 90 paddle strokes in a canoe Mm -hmm. if you're a lousy paddler add 20 more i mean it's nothing to get all across the pond Mm -hmm. unless the ice is bad unless a wind is blowing there's life-threatening stuff between you and the road Mm -hmm. so that doesn't sound like much to maybe those of us sitting here because we love the woods and we've gained the skills to know when to sit tight Mm -hmm. so you're a little less apt to hurt yourself than someone who's completely green and I'm gonna live in a roadless area and pa pa pa. You know, you could get into trouble fast if you didn't know kind of the rules of roadless areas. So that gets my brain around when people say wilderness, and often I'll say the wildlands of Maine, and I mean up where it's roaded. Mm-hmm. It's roaded to the smithereens since you know you and I've been using those woods there. When I was first guiding, there were 10,000 miles of private paper company roads. Last I looked, there were 32,000, and that was 15 years ago. Yeah. So that's a roaded area. That is not a wilderness. Yeah. But there are pristine places within it, mm-hmm. for sure. There are pristine places here, but you can sit around here and most of the time hear nothing but the blood in your ears pounding, the frogs, the birds, you know, sounds of the natural world. Somebody's taking somebody's, somebody's CD music. player playing. Yeah. That guy that lives here, his music. <laughs> and it's it's a whole different quality of existence and perception. Your body is perceiving the world mm-hmm. in a different way than if there was a road right between us and Greenwood Mountain, so-called yeah. mountain, little hill back there. I would have a wholly different feeling. And there is nothing. You can go and go and go. The only Where the road kicks in is with those camps you can see. You can mm-hmm. see their docks over there. There's a dirt road that you can get to those camps if yep. you want. But in New England, to have this amount of shoreline that is road-free is just crazy rare yeah. in a stream yeah. bisecting it. Yeah. So it, yeah, to me it's roadless is the, yeah. one of the good words that helps people get how, over how, Yeah, how easy are, is it for you to... You know, access. Access, or, access yeah. and egress. Yep. Most people are obsessed with egress as soon as they get acra 
access. Yeah. They were like, can I get there? Can I get to the Allagash, do a three-day trip? Yeah. And then, then they say, oh, I have a meeting. I gotta get out. Yeah. And they're just like, that's very modern thinking. Like, yeah. usually if you're a, well, like the thing I've noticed with living with, traveling with, native people and also just being in this environment is that you tend to stay in the present you don't yeah. tend to sit around going oh i miss the good old days when i was young you also don't think oh no lily's coming tomorrow god does my hair look good it's like i think i brushed it this morning but you know you're not thinking that way you're thinking um Oh, okay, the roof, 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 roof. Oh, I get this PowerPoint I'm working on. So, okay, I'm working on those slides this morning. And then I'm, I know in my mind that, oh, today you guys are coming. This is going to be cool because I know Brian and I've already talked to you. And I go, these two people have great minds. I can't wait to hang out with them. So you're in the present. And that does something to the human body. I think, one, it relaxes it. <laughs> Not that we can't all create stress, but it it relaxes you. It allows your senses to stay on. They don't go ping, ping, ping and shut down because you're overwhelmed. They stay on. So in the middle of sorting slides, I'll be like, oh, the pine warbler's calling again. Oh my God, I wonder if they're having another brood. Mm. So you're, you're engaging with the present. Yeah. You're not engaging with, I need to make a PowerPoint thing i have so many hours i will quit at noon and have lunch i will have it done by x date it's not a linear boxed event so that's a huge thing people would say huh mm -hmm. what are you talking about living in the now holy smoly that is not something my culture the culture i was raised in new england it's not something we do well yeah always like worried about thinking about without time you know? yeah yeah uh, i often out here i'm like i don't what day is it you know I'm, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, I have no idea what day it is, and let alone what time it is. So you lose your sense of that clockwork time mm -hmm. thing that, that the workaday world revolves around. Mm -hmm. And when you lose that, it's a whole different perspective on nature and the world. And yeah. it's, it changes your whole perspective on things. It's like your senses open up. Yeah. You know, that they're not usually yeah. that open. And that's what yeah. nature does for people. It, it stops time and puts them in the present moment, you know. And, and I think that's why a lot of people enjoy nature so much because it, it's such a contrast from the workaday world and now they're in the present time, you know, and they're not living in the future mm -hmm. or the past, and, which most people do. So It fills your bucket spiritually. That's the way I've always... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a need, I would say. Spiritual um, sustenance is an, a human need, like food and all the other rest of things mm -hmm. on the list. And not in my culture, it's like, well, yeah, what religion do you belong to? You know, check a box. Yeah. It's yeah. like, no, there is no box, and there should be. <laughs> there should absolutely be a bo Just saying spiritual sustenance or something, some good, clever word. It's absolutely necessary for, I would say, human mental health. Mm -hmm. And that leads to physical health. I mean, it's all circular and connected. So, and that's something that's kind of hard when you're, when you're testifying, saying, why should you protect areas like this if this were threatened? You know, why, why, why are you, what are you protecting? And I'd ultimately say, what do you, oh, they would say to me, I've heard this a lot, you know, 
Alexander, what do you have against humans? And I'm like, so this is, this is all for humans and for the earth. I said, we're one and the same. We're all connected. Humans, ants, fighting insects, elephants, the earth. We're all connected. And without any of us there, the earth is a lesser place. And I'm not saying that because I'm an artist or a little idealist. I'm just saying this is a system that's been running for time out of mind. And we're a wonderful part of it. So why why would we separate ourselves? Why would we, we even separate this and make this a wilderness area and that end isn't, you know? That's, even that's kind of sad, yep. but it's, it's the tools we have right now. That's where I was kind of going with that comment, is okay. that separate, separateness yeah. of, like, that's the nature, and then you go, if you have the resources to really go out right. and be in nature, you have right. the privilege to do that. Otherwise, yeah. you, it's, you don't have it. Yeah. And I feel like in places here that there is more of that, you know, yeah. it's... I'm sure lots of other places in the country in the world where there's more of an everyday interaction with right. maybe it's maybe it's more a comment the fact that I'm talking about this is more a commentary about our society and what it values and and yeah. sees or at least someone like me sees yeah absolutely I, I totally get also that I'm speaking from my perspective as a New Englander mm. you know raised by New England parents and that in itself is a you know yeah ooh. When we had those Swedish students over four years ago, or whatever, they were always asking the question, well, why is nature important? You know, it was one of the things their class had, it was kind of a theme that, you know, when they went out in nature, they had to kind of be cognizant of why is nature so important to people? You know? And I've asked myself that many times, you know, writing and doing stuff and there's a lot of reasons I think there's you know as many people as there are you know people there's there's a reason why people come out in the nature but I think it connects you with uh, with the source the earth source and mm -hmm. grounds people and well it's been proven that if you go barefoot at the negative energy from the from the earth allows you to recharge almost it's mm. like recharging your battery type of thing so yeah this uh nature is has got a lot of metaphysical assets mm -hmm. that give you something that you don't even realize you're getting you you feel it mostly you don't it's not a cognizant thing that you can put into words usually that's uh something that you just feel when you're out here it's just Yep. It's just honest. <laughs> yeah. Well put. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably a little more blunt and clumsy way of putting it, what I realized years ago, I was like, oh, as a society, we are better better off the more collectively we're connected mm. to nature mm. and individually as well. It has, you know, it works on two levels. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So true. Would you two like to get a little more comfortable in these hard wooden seats <laughs> in the rising tide? <laughs> <laughs>
Not it caught yet. my eye when I was on this pond the first yeah. time. I was like, what went on over there? Because you don't see them, yeah. you know, Mount Desert Island after the fire, yeah. 47, yeah. So I thought there was a bad fire in the 1820s here, mm -hmm. and you can still see it in the ground, but those aren't that old, obviously. But the that red pine and the one that grew right in the center of, used to grow in the center of where our cabin is, that unfortunately we had to knock down. Yeah. That one we counted the rings on, and that one right there. It uh -huh. was the equivalent to that one, wow. that size. Yeah. It was exactly. We figured it started growing in 1820. Whoa. And I mean, we counted it about nine times, and every time we'd get to 1820 would have been when. And it how started. big around was it? Well, like one of the. I forget now that that really big one passed. Oh, I the, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were pointing to the small one. I was like, wow, they grow slow. Yeah, they grow <laughs> slow. <yeah. laughs> so, would that be two feet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget because wow. we've got the the sections of it we use to sit around the campfire. So they're very old trees, and I could be completely wrong, but if we were to walk out to the spring. There's actually let's do that because yeah. visually that is gorgeous and it's not far and away. I, I saw a pump handle in your kitchen. Yep, is, pitcher does pump. Does that go to the spring? Goes or? to the lake. Oh, that, okay, yep. yep. We do bring, we hand carry spring water all winter. Yep. And even now we put, since we have a filter, really nice carbon filters, mm -hmm. we still haul spring water if it hasn't run dry in these two summers of drought yeah um, and use it for drinking water that is put through a carbon filter oh cool and i don't frankly i don't think it needs to be put through but we have enough friends and guests that i don't want a chance what's any, that sound that's the railroad work vehicle oh yeah i was like it sounds like it would be a train but i'm not hearing like the yeah rumble yep yeah yeah i don't know why it makes such a horrible noise. So you filter the lake water if you need to. That and or this. Yeah. But frankly, you can drink this. It's just right now you'll see it's low, so I wouldn't. That's why we filter everything. Nobody gets sick. Um, but it's oh, really it's a dug, it's a dug well kind of. Or? Well, I cleaned it out, but it was here, and kind of stuff had tumbled in. Oh, it's 52. Wow. 52 and, degrees. You know, if you lean down and we're in there, you'd see it's it's quite cool. Yeah. And we have had like porous containers hanging over that, like backpack baskets and things with food in it, and mm -hmm. it keeps it cold. But recently we discovered that our, that ledge is really, really cold, and Kermit had started a root cellar, and it's very nice and cool there. Nice. So now we can keep cheese and oh, half great. and half and <laughs> <laughs> but the woods right up here you can see it here but you can see it even better up here how old the woods are and compared to exactly where the the cabin is you've got a few select old pine uh-huh but i think it might have been the foreman's camp to the logging camp uh. where all the guys you know, where <laughs> the ram pasture was. So now we have 120 year old. Yeah. Spruce. This stuff's old. Red pine. 
in the whole woods. I've hunted, you know, probably two miles that way. I don't, I don't hunt up the mountain because I don't want to be hauling <laughs> yeah. a deer out of there. But um, Kermit and I hike up the mountain a lot, and that's, yeah. it's just this the whole way. And when you get to the top of Greenwood Mountain, you won't believe this, or I didn't, oak forest. What? It's like it's supposed to be a little Krumholtz and spruce and stuff. Nope. Oak forest. And so whatever the glacier did, it must have just somehow left a slew of soil somehow at the top of this hill. It's it's against all the, the landscapes I've traveled in Maine. It's like I, I don't even remember coming across a place where you can go through thick spruce old growth forest, spruce fir, and then come out into oaks and sweet soil. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I mean, where where would there be otherwise natural growing oaks in this part of the county? Like, Well, Bodfish Valley has um, butternut oh, growing really? next to the stream. Now, uh -huh. maybe they were planted by the early yeah. family there. Or maybe even the native people brought butternuts up from the warmer mm. parts of Maine. It's possible. Oh, I wonder if you think that could have happened, that there were... Um, acorns brought, or someone brought acorns up, you know, Wabanaki people brought acorns up and happened to... I don't know hurt. about why you would do that at the top of this mountain. Yeah. I think that's more likely the soil was sweet. Yeah. And somehow acorns got there. Yeah. You know, just wow. Squirrels somehow yeah. dropped them. Yeah. It had to have been the soil. Yeah. So there's sweet soil around here, but it's scarce. And one place that it's extremely sweet is... Borestone, as you know, is just very sprucey and scraggly mm -hmm. up top. But if you go around the back side, and now the sanctuary has a trail that goes down eventually to Lake Onawa, if you go down, it levels off about halfway in this little spot. And there are white ash, yellow birch, and maple, sugar maples. Hmm. And, and you're standing, wait a second, I just came off the top of the mountain. I've only dropped several hundred feet. What? Hmm. And they never were caught. I mean, they're monsters. So there's wow. a monster old growth on Borstone. And then it goes back into spruce fir, hemlock, blah, 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 mm -hmm. hemlock, 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 boom. Lake Onawa, take a swim. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, can you explain what sweet soil is? Oh, uh, let's see. PH? Yeah, it's about pH, so it's, it's not mm -hmm. acidic. And it grows things like leeks and maples. So intervale land, you know, mm -hmm. that's yep. flooded lands yep. and the rivers. You'll see plants growing in intervales that you, you won't, you'll find on the, in Vermont, for instance, in the Sugarbirths in Vermont, that's sweet soil. Yeah. And you look around, you see leeks and you go, wait, we should be by a river with fiddleheads growing all around us, ostrich ferns. That's where you find leeks, mm. at least in Maine. But in Vermont, it's like, it's up because they, for some reason, they've got sweet soil in the Green Mountains. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Makes all the difference. Are people ever surprised that you hunt? Do they have Probably. Sort of a certain idea about you? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. And I hunt deer and I don't even go partridge hunting. I, I definitely shoot partridge if that's, we feel like a meal of partridge, but I like bang for the buck. Ew, that's a bad pun. <laughs> um, I want the most meat yeah. for the least amount of killing. Yeah. That kind of thing, because yeah. I am an omnivore. And when I was 25, I just decided 
I can't live with myself. I have to harvest meat if I'm going to eat meat. Mm. And so that's that's how I went into it. Yeah. Yeah. How and is I, the deer herd in this area? It's way better in Atkinson. You know, go to yeah. farmland, Monson, you know. Yeah. It's way better. But here is quiet and the big bucks roam. Not that I want a big buck. I really yeah. don't. Yeah. But it's... I'm out there to not only get meat, hopefully, but to to enjoy myself. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit in a farmer's field and guarantee, boom, that I'm going to get some meat yeah. for the freezer. I just don't, not my thing. Yeah. So yeah, I ram around these woods a lot. That's great. And uh, yeah, I have to usually drag things a long way and then use my canoe and yeah. all that. You know, one thing that I was going to say when we our earlier conversation about how you unplug and open up mm-hmm. after a while it takes time it does doesn't so it? i know i'm like yeah i know exactly what you're talking about but that's not going to happen to me this morning not, right i mean i can because you can't make it happen no and and but hunting i've gone there's a place down in norway maine where i go that's close to it's in the woods but it's close to agricultural yes. fields and but you know if we're just going out for three hours yeah you know to sit completely quiet in yeah. the woods that's a little bit of an accelerant towards it that. It is. I um, agree. Because you're just being as quiet as you can. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so magical. And even if somebody toted a gun, you don't you don't have to hunt. I mean, yeah, you can even leave the gun back, you know, yeah. and and just go and sit. It's just one of the most marvelous things you could do. And you know the first time I was thinking about that when I first started hunting, because I had an amazing thing happen one of the earliest times I was hunting. Jerry Stelmach taught me how to hunt. And he's a very kind, deep person, and that's the kind of person I wanted to learn from. And funny. And funny. Yowie. <laughs> Hilarious. So basically he says, well, Brownie, why don't you go up, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, that'll be great. And anyway, probably my third or fourth time just sitting and watching and listening I had, it's just the strangest thing happened where it was maybe five in the morning or, you know, something pre, just pre-dawn, just starting to get later. And I literally forgot who I was. I was 25 years old, because that was a, or 26 maybe, something like that. Anyway, probably late 20s, because when I was, when Jerry was teaching me. Um, And I remember just, everything went like equal. And I heard myself whisper, Alexandra Brown. And I went, oh, you are Alexandra Brown. It was like being equal with the trees and the, everything I was looking at. And I was scared. I was like, wow, I don't think that's good. I don't think your brain should do that. You know, it really scared me. Huh. And, but I didn't tell anybody, but I wrote an older woman that was just one of those marvelous people who help you get through your teens and stuff. So I wrote Priscilla and said, you know, I had this really amazing experience in the woods recently. I was writing her about hunting because she wasn't a hunter and she was a professor of English lit at Dartmouth and loved all these readers and would send me books and try to get my brain to do this. And and so I was trying to be adult and even though I wasn't adult, you know, like write her something worthy. And I said, "I, I don't even know what to make of this. And she was ecstatic when she wrote me back and just said, oh, this is incredible. People go and pay 
gobs of money to go, you know, and had these experiences. That's exactly what was going on. And I said, you mean it wasn't something really freaky? <laughs> Which I didn't feel, yeah. but I was yeah. just sort of like, I've never had this happen. Yeah. And she was very reassuring and said, that is becoming one with all and you just need to relax into it don't worry don't worry so from that moment on I was like wow this is there's a whole lots of layers of meaning here I don't mm. just so hunting just as you're saying it's very very layered it's not about going out and popping a deer and then bragging to your friends it's, it's nothing to do with that yeah So what are we hearing back here? There's a morning dove that has a nest oh. partway up yeah. the mountain and further away with those uh, hermit thrushes. Mm -hmm. But it cracks me up because I always thought morning doves were kind of, you know, suburban, beautiful little birds. Mm -hmm. And this one, this spring was, the two of them were always at our feeder and, and like being pardon the word, cute, really cute. They were a couple and they were just always sort of bumping shoulders and sharing food. They weren't bickering. They were so precious. And then they moved back into the woods to raise their family. <laughs> yeah. I think this piece of land here is a great example of how nature can rebound from human trammeling. Mm. So this is, let me bring the the college students here in the spring, I teach them canoeing out there. I bring them back to their winter campsites and show them, I want you to see what our impact above the spring where we camp, and one of the tents is usually right in here, but you'd never know it because it's, it's all above the ground because of the snow, and to let them understand that this, this is what nature does if you leave it alone. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's powerful. So don't ever have a feeling of despair that what you when you see a piece of woodland ruined and everybody's bemoaning that and don't because they're young. They really think it's the end of the world. It's like that's gone. It's like don't worry. It will come back in your lifetime. And I want to I want to let them know that because. Some of us are only too happy to drag young people around and go, it's terrible what they're doing. It wasn't like this in my day. You know, it's like yeah. enough of that. They yeah. get enough of it through social media. It's yeah. like, I think it's my job now to show them that things do bounce back, but it takes caretakership. Yeah. Mostly though, I have to say, I've really been trying to give a, vi give a vision. First of all, give an experience to the College of Atlantic students. Yeah. I should maybe say, first of all, give them skills. But anyway, whichever, they get excited, then give them some skills and develop those skills and get them out leading trips of their peer group. And then these places need us, guys. And they're like, well, aren't they parks? You know, like the Allagash Waterway is constantly under death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. And so that is... Anyway, I just, that's where I've chosen yeah. through years of guiding. It's like, wow, yeah. where can I put all this, this real bountiful energy towards trying to protect wildlands without traipsing to Augusta and doing what I did, and it broke my heart. It just, yeah. I just felt a lot of negative things from that because yeah. of the person I was. You know, if a different type of person, that could have been positive, but yeah. I didn't like 
being sort of a token female guide, um, make your little thing about why woods are important, and then they do a midnight deal under the table, and Saboom becomes something that we were not talking about last time I was at this meeting. Why is that off the table, and why is that money just shunted? You know, really, I'm not a good politician. I can totally relate to that. You know, I was big gaps and stuff, and they had big gaps in other areas. We couldn't even come up with a plan that was anything but what they had already figured ahead of time. And that's not good. So I think I've got to empower these college students to, yes, include Augusta, because we've got Shelley Pingree. She and I went to school together. I mean, how'd she get out of college in Atlantic and become... She's just an amazing woman. So College of Atlantic can... A member of Congress. Now a member, a member of Congress. Of Congress. Yeah. I mean, she's just an unbelievable... Has she been here? Uh, not yet, No. But she's an example yeah. of someone, I don't want to say College of Atlantic are all going to be little green, um, yeah. whatever people would envision me as. You know, they don't all want to live under a stump and, and, and be a th- have a thorough experience. Not at all. They have multiple talents. So, so I don't know what I get for a grab bag of students, but I just want to enhance the love of the earth for them, allow that to happen for them without being self-conscious about it. Let the let the you know woods do their thing and then help steer them because if all you do is treat this like candy like oh great I'm gonna work in New York and do all my groovy green work for blah 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 and shunt financial funds here and there and all that that's fine it needs to be done but I don't want them to treat well this is me and my philosophy but yeah. it's it doesn't makes no sense if you're doing that work and then you go bag a mountain or bag a wilderness experience yeah. and then tear back to New York City. Yeah. The earth, we're an extension of the earth in my world view. So it's not to say their work isn't important, but I feel like it needs to be integrated for the work to really have, um, I was going to say magic. I love the word magic because to me it is real. But if you want to be metaphysical, there's a lot of quantum energy that makes stuff move forward. Mm-hmm. So if you're um, a person who has a vision and you have passion, a, a metaphysical scientist could measure that for people who are science-minded and indicate, let's say, my level of passion for the woods and what I can manifest through that passion is a measurable quantity. And it has to do with particle physics. So yeah, you can go down that route and explain it, or you can just say magic. (laughs) Um, So I'll stick with the magic and just say the students, I know they feel magic. I watched, I have maybe 10, 11, 12, you know, a year that I work with. And we just do stuff and get skills. And I love, I love students, and um, so if anything, I think I try to pour support and and regard them as individuals with amazing, potent talent that can change the world. And I say, some point in your life, you're going to think you can change the world. And of course, they're all thinking, well, of course you can change the world. That's why I'm here in school. I'm going to change the world. Well, that's what you're at when you're 20. That's how you think, and you should think that way. But they're going to crash, and I know that. They're going to, I can't change the world. This is a mess. Or, sadly, some of my students already think it's a mess. They've already grown up and seen it, and that scares me. So my philosophy 
and my belief, deep belief, is that now you have no idea how powerful you are. Look at Greta Thunberg, just one example. Look at the words of Thoreau. So what if he was an idealist and only spent a year, everybody's so critical of the guy. He spent a year, is the point. And he put tremendous words on paper that influenced people like me that wore, wore Walden in my hip pocket was a 16-year-old for a whole year. It's like, it's not getting out of my pocket, you know, for fear that that part of me would get lost. Mm -hmm. That's powerful stuff. So the students have individual talents. And I'll tell them, it's your duty. It's your duty on the planet Earth, if you choose this mission, to discover who you are. Not me, not that person that you kind of want to be like, but who you are. And you might borrow a little bit, because that's what we do as humans. We kind of, oh, yeah, I want to be like her. Oh, he's cool. And you try on all these things, but pretty soon it becomes you, and you, and it integrates with everything inside you until you are you with Y-O-U. And you are so powerful when you're in that. And if you only do that, you will have power to change the world. And I don't know why, but I see that in the, in the time that I work with them. I watch them go from, am I doing this right? You know, they're very anxious and worried about right, wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and wow, that's an interesting knot. Wow, never seen one tied that way before. Okay, what are we trying to tie? And, you know, back up, use mm -hmm. humor, whatever. So that's a big, fat, long way of saying I believe in human beings' own power to smarten up where we need smartening up, where we need smartening up. All of us need to be woke, as they say, to many, many things. And to the more we connect with the natural world, I think it, the path becomes easier to discover who you are and what your passion and what your heart is leading you to. So, yay woods. So finding that connection to Hummingbird. Hmm. You could hear that. That yeah. was very cool. Great! But you we talk about sort of that, you know, that spiritual connection to nature and the outdoors. How have you witnessed, what have you learned about that process? Because I imagine you would have gotten people out into the woods who are not comfortable. Mm. But have you, have you spent enough time with people, whether in a chunk of time or maybe over multiple years in a relationship with a student, say, that comes back and visits and how that process works, how, how it plays out? when someone travels along that continuum. Yeah. I think looking at it mechanically, say as a guide, for instance, I have six random human beings that Garrett and I are sharing a five-day experience with on a canoe trip, let's say. And we have varying levels of abilities and such. And you always have a mix of absolute rank beginners, intermediates, experts who think they're experts, and then people who are truly very, very accomplished at canoeing, let's say, or camping. So they're comfortable in the woods. And you have people who have some fears, like whether it's bears or they're going to drown, whatever, just yeah. some fears. And I always felt my role as a guide, maybe growing up in a big family where I was one of the older ones, you're taking care of people all the time, your kids, and, and you're kind of tuned in to uh, the little ones, you know, da, da, da. It was the same with my guests that sort of have my antenna up early on in the trip. 
trying to suss out what what people's fears were because you couldn't always ask them they're you're too proud or mm. or they didn't want to admit it or but everybody has fears i mean maybe i won't get along with anybody who knows what their fear is so i tried to suss that out a little and then would i think the process is with the students and or people i'm guiding is that most people love to talk about themselves and i as much as i can talk here to you too and express things for minutes at a time with my guests I like to ask them questions like mm-hmm. you know why when did you discover you were just passionate about the outdoors or, or was it an experience what was one of your first experiences I love hearing those stories I'd be very frank that mm-hmm. I just love hearing those things and you can imagine the variety of very cool stories I heard why why would they end up on a canoe trip in Maine come on so very few would have picked up a magazine on a flight and, you know, and got, oh, cool, you know, check it off my list. You know, that was very rare with our clientele. Mm. It was mostly people who had been to summer camp or had parents who took them camping. And now here they are, 45 or 55, and wanting to go back into the woods. But they still had fears. So we would get them, like, doing stuff, tying up canoes, bailing canoes, emptying canoes, getting firewood, which kind of good firewood, skill, 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 physical, physical, physical. I wouldn't hardly check in. I'd be get food all the time, but food, 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 because I didn't want them to have the food thing. Like, when are we going to eat? So they'd always get a big bag of some goodies every day, and then it, um, I mean, to keep for the trip. Mm-hmm. That was up to them. And then they would always around three or four, or whenever we were setting up camp, I'd have on the central campground I would have a big old bag of snacks so it's like you can you always will have food so the food thing was taken care of right from the get-go and then you do the skill thing so they learn how to saw well or to pick actually pick what is really good excellent firewood I wouldn't get into the natural history we didn't have time in the first few days Mm. but it was skill acquisition made people relax because then Mm. they felt empowered the students, we actually let them use axes. My guests never. So the students really get turned on when they learn how to split firewood and actually make shavings with their jackknives backwards like a crooked knife mm-hmm. and fine bark if you can. And if you can't, those shavings will do it. How to light a match. Any of you know how to, you know. No, what? We have lighters. It's like, mm-hmm. does it work? No, etc. Mm-hmm. So... All that's basics, basics, basics. And by day three, and I don't know if this was also had to do with food intake on a regular basis and certain kinds of food. I really wasn't into throwing gorp at them. That was sort of their little survival pack because mm-hmm. that's fun and it looks really good pretty much any time of day. So that's sort of psychological, your, your little backup. But I was feeding... I. I know I was feeding them very good food. Most of it was organic and it was expensive. It wasn't like we were rich, but I just said, nope, we got to eat this yeah. stuff. <laughs> I'm eating good food. Yeah. And I can't help but think that three days of good food got them on a much more even keel. Mm-hmm. So they weren't doing this spike thing. Yep. Like, all right, let's go. And then they're no good yep. when you get to camp. So kind of keep that engine stoked with good stuff. And they would chill out and start getting really calm. Mm-hmm. And... Night four was 
it's when the magic always happened around the campfire. It didn't matter mm. if it was raining or, or gorgeous quiet night with stars twinkling. It was just magic would happen and everybody's sitting around and Corsair and I would tell stories, but that would kick others. Like I was in the Alaskan wilderness and one time this happened, we're all listening. Just, it's just magic. And the groups really bonded. I have to say group after group after group after group. It was so rare to have have that not happen. And if it did, it was usually just, you know, one strange person that just, they're built that way and you can't yeah. change them. Yeah. But that's fair enough. I think that was the process pretty much food, water, tool acquisition, then place in the group socially. Yeah. Beyond that, providing time, we did not generally run rushed trips. Yeah. Eight-day St. John trips. Yeah. I don't know anybody who offered eight-day St. John trips. It's just time. And that's when people go, they don't know what they want to do, but I'll give them an idea. And I say, yeah. you know, let's go in the woods and just, if you guys see any flower you don't recognize, please come get me. Or or if there are a lot of them, bring it back. So I, I did really want to know. So they yeah. were like my little and archaeology you know things like that mm -hmm. so i'd give them little quests to go after if they were just like what do i do and it's hard to know what to do if you've never been alone with yourself so in in the end i wanted i want every student and every guest that i ever guided to feel like they had been at home on the trip with me mm -hmm. that was my goal that feeling of being at home people experiencing the outdoors can be done in many ways mm. so if we're acquisitive that can put big blinders on if you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna hike every peak in scatacus county i'm gonna see every waterfall in this i am gonna fill in the blank i'm gonna do the allagash 50 times mm. i say well that's fine i mean Go for it. But my heart sinks because I think, what are you on earth are you going to draw out of that? What are you going to give to that landscape? Mm. What are you going to receive from that landscape? Where's the transaction? Mm. It's bagging. Mm. Kabam! Put it in your game bag and look what I got. Mm. You know, it's, it's a way of relating to the woods that is so acquisitive and so Western so that's another element like a finer element of how can you model that for students i don't i don't model it deliberately i think just you have to be who you are mm. and that models it but sometimes they need words they're very word driven mm -hmm. these students and they need things spelled out and that's fair enough and if you talk around the campfire bring it up for topic like why do we go to the woods and what is it like, let's just all, each of us describe a trip we would love to do. You're in Mount Desert Island. We've got all of Maine to explore. And you got just enough money to buy enough food for a two-week trip. Well, let's see, what are you going to do? And, and watch where that conversation goes. Because usually one out of 11 will say, I'm going to go find a rock and I'm going to sit for 11 days and see what happens. And you're like, whoa, that's my boy. You know, whatever. You know. <laughs> my work here is done. <laughs> yep, my work here is done. Yeah. So you get that end of the spectrum yeah. to someone like, oh, geez, I'd love to bag every peak in Acadia. Do you think I could do it in two weeks? Fair enough, you know? And everybody has their own 
level of growth. Believe me, I didn't start out thinking sitting on a rock would necessarily be just such an incredibly intense experience for multiple days. Mm -hmm. But once that world is open to you and suggested as an option, and if you're curious enough and you try it and then you just, your head's blown off because it's so cool, then the rest of it falls in place. So I feel a little bit, oh, tired when I observe extremely well-meaning organizations behaving in such a Western way that they're modeling a capitalist culture, a capitalist experience, that it's all about quantitative stuff. It's not about qualitative. And that bothers me. And I, I'm not in their shoes. I'm not running those businesses. Obviously, I would have a different viewpoint. So mm. there's, a, there's a big soft spot in my heart for people who are in that world and caught in that world that, of course, Alexander, they're going to do that. They're not bad people. They're doing what they think is wonderful. They're promoting the outdoors. They're getting shunting loads of people through um, down rafts or through lodges. They're getting them out in nature and back home and new croup. That's a way to do it. But I worry that it's just another acquisitive, you know, another candy. Mm. Gets you, you know, super sugared up. Yep. And then you're back where you started, wondering why you feel so empty and unfulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. A diet of sugar. A metaphorical diet of sugar. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I've worked in some of those, you know, I've worked in some of the busy huts in the White Mountains. Oh, yeah. You, you would know, see this. Where, you know, it's 36 people a night and it's yeah. a different, like, almost never, like, maybe a few people every summer. So, like, less than 1% people would stay more than one night because they're moving through the yeah. huts or they're coming in for one night or, like, I'm doing the Zealand Greenleaf Galehead mm. trip and then they'll get shuttled back around. I mean, people have amazing memories and, you know, great experiences and yeah. time with their family. So not to discount it. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's a little bit of that high volume moving yeah. people through. And, of course, you work there. You have memories that last a lifetime, you know, of the crew that you work with and... You know, oh, you're packing yeah. food in, but it, you know it's a, it's just a very different. I guess maybe it's a continuum of different ways to mm. have these experiences and and just recognizing where you are at that time and maybe what else you need. Right. You know. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure what point I'm making, but it just it struck me that I was like, oh yeah, I've seen that high volume. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think there are certainly people who have, you know, the experience have those experiences and huts and lodges and it sticks with them and maybe that leads to that leads to that's it's another step down that yeah continuum. it is there's a place for it because sandy neely you know when we were both like 30 something years old yeah. i'd say but sandy i don't really gotta you know be really level with you i think rafting is is really kind of a super superficial way to like experience a river and she goes yeah 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 i know what you mean she's really you know sandy yeah brilliant brilliant well, she, her answer was basically, look at it this way. You guide 100 people a year, deep. I guide 100 a week or a day or something, probably a day back then. And so I'm just pumping them through. And maybe in the course of a year, I have thousands of people I've put down the river. And maybe a certain percentage of them come out just turned on to wilderness. Mm -hmm. And I went, fair enough. Gotcha. 
because I love Sandy. Yeah. You know, it wasn't I wasn't dissing her business, but I couldn't figure out why is that that's just not bogus bad. And yeah. she gave me a good answer. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in Snow Walker's Companion, the thing I'm most proud of in our book is you can read all the chapters, fine, learn about winter camping. But I wrote a um afterward and it's just one page and there's a picture of a fox just looking at you. It's one, you know, we happen to get a really good picture of a fox. And I don't know if you have a copy of that book, but if you if you read that, the last word is home. Mm. And it, it's just, all I said was basically, you know, wishing, fancifully wishing I was a fox sometimes and just losing your senses and mm. peering down and da 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 da. But basically, it was more of an artistic way of saying, really, that's the human spirit's just always trying to find home. And we're, mm. we are home. It's just a matter of opening up to that so yeah so it's really cool that um i remember saying to garrett that wow all these techniques we're we're so known for our techniques and teaching and all that but that's not what i'm about i mean mm. i'm passionately excited about skills but that's not the the foundational thing mm. is home it's just such an awesome place i just i never I mean, we're so lucky living here in Maine. Yeah. But act frankly, everywhere I've ever been on the planet Earth, including Waikiki Beach, thanks to a bunch of gals in Willimannica, you're 40, come on, you gotta do something. <laughs> Get out of the North Woods. And so I went with them and I was thinking, wow, this is friendship. And then as we're circling Honolulu or whatever, the big island anyway, tears are running down my face and I'm thinking this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen oh my god then when I get out at the airport I'm smelling fuchsia and I'm like the air smells beautiful and it was like my brain was just blocking you can imagine Honolulu is just you know just yeah. people and Baywatch was being filmed down the beach and it was just like insanity but my eyes were just going sand surf trees I'd never seen oh <laughs> Linda was going you are really whacked she says come on you gotta come to the store with me and I, you know I'd put up with them but it was like yeah what a beautiful place and that taught me that you know what Alexandra you're really in love with the earth you, you are not yeah. you don't have to be in Maine to love it it's, it's a beautiful place yeah yeah thanks for listening to a talk in the woods for more conversations about Maine's land, water, and people, check out other episodes, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a product of the Maine Mountain Collaborative, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To learn more about our mission, visit mainemountaincollaborative.org.